Hello. Hello. This is the universe speaking. How may I help you? Welcome to the art of listening. I'm your host, Yannick Rohr. Enjoy the show. This episode's brought to you by theperfecthedshot.com and produced by James Gibson at DaoSound, T-A-O Sound dot org. Um, it is July 9th, 2016, broadcasting to you live from Austin, Texas, in my backyard. So I'm sitting here with an awesome, awesome human being, Sohan Phong. Uh, what's, what's going on in your world, man? Oh, gosh. I am... Completely engrossed in running my business. I just got back from my first vacation, vacation in three years, which was really nice. Uh, which is pretty much since I, I started the business, I haven't actually taken a, a trip trip, but I did, and now I'm back. So I'm looking at a very solid stretch of staying put and working <laughs> on stuff. So is Austin your home base then? Austin is very much my home base. Nice. Yeah, I mean, you say you're going on a vacation, vacation, but you're still doing all kinds of like going and talking to kids and yeah. so I mean as much as you call it a vacation you're still doing altruistic deeds you know right absolutely well so Colorado I was invited there to talk to the families of adopted Chinese children about Chinese tea culture which is what my business is it's, uh, importing tea and spreading Chinese tea culture and before that I was in Mexico and that was more purely a vacation I was there mostly to swim with whale sharks uh, it was kind of a spur of the moment decision but I'd, I've literally dreamt, as in like sleeping at night, dreams about swimming with giant animals in the ocean since I was a child. I studied marine biology. Uh, it's kind of been like a, a the major recurring dream of my life has been being in the ocean with giant, looming, shadowy shapes. So, hey man, if, if it's on the bucket list, <laughs> that is more power to you because that that fuels everything that comes with the business. Once mm. you take your own personal creative trips. Yeah, that's true. That was a big realization for me, is that um, I, I can't just go all the time. People need to, to, to take a break, and, and you know, just for a perspective shift, if nothing else, but also to, to rest and to, to take time away so you can get a fresh start on things. Yeah, it's absolutely crucial. I mean, I, I drive myself a little mad shooting these headshots, booking at people every two hours, seven days a week, and never have any time for myself and just going to Barton Springs and not thinking for like an hour or two is so, so important. The water too, specifically. <laughs> oh, I think something about, cause I was in the ocean in Mexico. You know uh-huh. what I mean? I think something about physically immersing yourself in water. It's, there's a, a, a Jewish purification rite called a mikvah where you, you're supposed to submerge yourself in water completely naked nine times. You have to get completely naked. <laughs> And then you submerge yourself completely, 100% underwater nine times. And, and, uh, and that's, you know, the, the purpose of this rite was to ritually purify you so you could enter the temple. And there's no more temple, but people still do it. And it sounds pretty mundane and straightforward, but when you actually do it, to dunk your head underwater nine times in a row like that, is, it's, it changes your physiology. It, it totally does. To it totally does. I mean, I would argue even just getting naked completely changes your psychology of how uh, you yeah. feel. I Absolutely. think getting naked is, is one of 
one of a few things you can do to start to feel more natural and, and human, animal-like. And if I could get naked in Barton Springs and go swimming, if that was like a full nude thing, I think that'd be awesome. I really wish it was. I wish it was, too. Yeah, it's uh, But, uh, you know, women can be topless there. Well, women can be topless anywhere in Travis County, True, right? true. That's really very true. progressive of us. I don't see very many topless women, out, women outside of Barton Springs, though. I do, sometimes. Oh. Not, not all the time. Lucky but man. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was funny, though, because... Um, I was with a probably mutual friend in, in Colorado, uh, and and it's legal in, in Boulder also for women to be topless, but um, she was the only one doing it because she's from Austin. She's always at Barton Springs, and she she was topless, and it was just attracting way more attention than it would in Austin because people just clearly weren't used to it. Yep. And, um, but yeah, I think being being naked is... It's it's bizarre because it's the most natural thing that you can do. We're 100%. born naked, and yep. and it's illegal. You can't be naked. Oh it, man! It's the, it, you oh, have to purchase man. clothes. What if you don't have? I mean, I know there's clothing shelters. There's free stuff. clothes everywhere. There's free clothes everywhere. But the idea that you have to cover your body that is your natural body that you came into the world with just to exist in society mm-hmm. is. Uh, perverse that seems perverse to me yep and then you've got all these damn companies marketing to you saying wear my clothes and then you're starting to represent a brand or an idea or a concept uh-huh. um i see all those guys with the have you ever seen the hats they're called it's obey it's uh-huh, a clothing uh-huh, line uh-huh. and i saw one at barton springs the other day and i was just staring at it like this is some form of mind wash almost just obey yeah i um, know it's well it, it, it's so direct. Well, and it's um, you ever watch They Live? Mm-mm. Oh man, it's a really good movie. I What's think that, that about? Oh, it's it's uh, it's about aliens that are among us in disguise. No one knows that they're there. But then uh, uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper gets a pair of glasses that lets him see them. And then uh, you see. Then he, the the thing is that he looks at the billboards, and the billboards we see them, and they say whatever they say, you know, an advertisement, but you put these glasses on and you can see what the aliens see and they all say, obey, marry and have children, consume, yep. all these things, and that's, we're getting wow. these subconscious messages. But, you know, and... Um, that's pretty much what's happening, those obey, consume. Well, it's like, so before, before, um, you know, modernity, people were very religious all over the world. In every culture and society, people were very religious and spiritual, and what they lived for was some um, non-material higher reward. And then we are, now we have modernity and progressivism and, uh, and like liberal thought, and it's like, well, no, we have to respect everyone's religion. And because all these religions claim to be the truth, we have to respect them all, but none of them has any more validity than any of the other ones. And so, so true. So we kind of have thrown away the idea of, of knowable, ultimate truth. There's nothing beyond the material world. You can believe whatever you want, but the one thing that everyone can agree has value is money. That's the one thing that it comes down to, because whatever people... You value, you know... Um, uh, uh, your Christian values and you value your Muslim values and you value your Buddhist values and that's fine you have a right to do that but right. the only thing that we all agree has value is money and so we're left with this society where the only 
way to identify yourself, to, to forge an identity and have an identity and have a meaning to your life and something to live for that everyone else recognizes is what material possessions do you have? We define ourselves in identity. Are you a goth? Are you a skater? Are you a hipster? Are you, like, what are you? Are you a, like a football player? Are you a surfer? What kind of things do you buy? Do you buy billabong or do you buy fucking American apparel or, you know... Can I swear? Is that cool? Oh, you can do okay, whatever sweet. the fuck you want on this <laughs> shit. I do not give a fuck. Okay, good. But yeah, that's the, that's what we're at now. Is we're at this point where rather than creating an identity based on your your internal value system, which is of of only a value to you, but its value is not recognized by anyone besides yourself. The only way we have to create an identity or to demonstrate display our identity or what we believe in is by the products that we buy even being look even being anti-materialism there's a product line <laughs> for that you can go go get a Che Guevara shirt at a uh, hot topic for oh, like 25 bucks <laughs> and it's like as soon as someone comes along it's like oh all this materialism all this stuff is bad it's like oh buy some organite it's you know? crazy it's crazy you really are voting with your money yeah that is absolute truth across the board absolutely um we, we're going to have to do this again because I know we're only working with like 30 or 45 minutes here. You got an alarm set, right? I got an alarm okay. set, yeah. So we're going to have to do this again. I, I, I think we've got some topics to dive mm, deep mm. on for sure. But in the meantime, I do want to talk about tea because, tea. man, <laughs> I went to a tea. I've been to a couple of your tea ceremonies. Um, so for those who aren't familiar, uh, Sohan is the owner, operator, all around badass that is uh, the creator of West, the West China Tea Company. Um, and you're based out of Austin, Texas, correct? That is correct. And you you have this little tea spot up in Spider House, and you do all these tea samplings all over. I see you at yoga events, <laughs> parties. I mean, literally every time I turn my head, it's like, oh, the West China Tea Company's here. I'm like, fuck yeah, this is going to be awesome. So uh, I recently did a, a sitting with you. I'd, I'd had a lot of your friends or your workers do um, the actual ceremonies, but when you did it yourself, it was like a magical experience because you're holding space. And... And, I mean, your knowledge when it comes to tea is so vast. I really, really enjoy the ceremony. Thank you. I enjoy, enjoy having you there. And it's, it's funny because it, when I first started this business, very few people in Austin were familiar with, with Gong Fu Cha, which is, is the, the Chinese tea service. Yes. And, and, uh, and now... It's, we've been around for three years, and it's only been in the last really year and a half since the tea spot opened, the physical brick-and-mortar tea house opened, that we've had a home base that we can operate from, and I've had employees, and now you're right, it is everywhere, it is all over the place. And for me, standing at the center of this like circle of tea culture, every direction I look in, there's tea stuff. I've been used to that because it's my world that I inhabit, but then to have that reflected back at me by people like you or friends of mine who who were, you know, involved with the company or me before, and then they went out of town for several months, and then they came back, and, like, all mm -hmm. of a sudden, tea's everywhere. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's, 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 I can't take all the credit for it, really. It's the viral nature of, of Gong Fu Cha, of tea of culture, is that someone experiences it, and they have a good time, they're excited by it, they see something special in it, and then they want to be able to share that. They want to be the one to be able to share that with their friends. Yep. 
And so they, they get some tea, they get a tea set, they take it home, they share it with people around them, and then that catches someone else onto it. And, <laughs> and so what we're experiencing now is kind of the, 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 um, the, the consequence, the reaping of all of the sowing that's been done. I spent so much time going to things, doing you know, tea service for free at different places for years. You know, when I first started, I was in my friend Emily Clementine's house just renting a room in her house on the east side. And I would just had office hours every Tuesday and Friday. And it was just free. People would come for a couple hours and just sit and drink tea. And sometimes they'd buy tea, sometimes they didn't. didn't matter. Sometimes I'd be there all by myself for a couple hours. And maybe Emily would hang out with me. But maybe I'd just be there by myself drinking tea by myself. And that was fine. It was really chill and low pressure. But it did the important preliminary work, which is just planting the seed, just exposing people to it so that they know it exists and what it is and they then they can get excited about it on their own and they do but it's it's cool you know Austin's such a good spot for it because people love cultural stuff people love new things they love exciting things they love social things they can do with their friends uh, they love like you know things they can nerd out about tea's super fucking nerdy there's so many tea. kinds of tea you can get so, so nerdy about it because there's so many kinds of tea and there's so much to know mm-hmm. so old and so diverse and so many people are doing it in so many different ways there's so much to know nobody knows everything there is to know about it and so like you said I, I you know it's my company I've been doing it the longest so of my staff I definitely have the most experience and knowledge and and uh and I still feel, when I go to China, I still feel like I am a beginner, you know, because wow. I, I, I get every, the more I learn, the more I glimpse how much there is to know. Wow. It's like, what, you know, climbing up a hill, climbing a mountain, you can't see the top of the mountain where you're climbing up it, but you come around a ridge and you see, oh, wow, this oh, mountain shit. is really fucking tall. <laughs> oh, shit. Taller than I even imagined. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool, man. I can't imagine, you, you know, that takes extreme determinism to hold space and no one shows up. And it's like, all right, well, I'm still doing this. I know it's what I want to do. That's the thing is that the only way to be good at Gong Fu Cha is to, you know, we say serve tea. Serve tea, usually we say that and we think to serve tea to people. But another way to interpret that is that to serve the plant, serve it as a servant. And, and that's like like just the way that a, a, a like an a curandero an ayahuasca shaman mm-hmm. serves the plant ayahuasca. Right. They serve. They are a servant of the plant right. spirit. And so that's how I think of it. And actually, this happened the other night on on um, Wednesday. Which so okay, let me give you a little background here. Wednesday night at Spider House is Geeks Who Drink Night. So it's a trivia night. And no, none of my staff, nobody wants to serve tea on Wednesday night because they're so loud and so obnoxious. And, uh. and um, you know, they, and they'll play these really loud songs and they'll stop them after like 15 seconds because they're just playing it while they're waiting for people to fill in their little answers. So it's a very distracting environment to try to serve tea in. So I always take Wednesday night because none of the rest of my staff wants to do it. And, and it's just, it's hump day. It's the middle of the week. It's not a night that is usually well attended. So, and I, so Wednesday night, I, 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 posted the Facebook post to advertising the, the tea tasting like maybe an hour before it started and so I show up and I, I'm not really expecting anyone to come but I show up at the tea house you know the, the tea to the tea tasting scheduled for eight I show up at, you know 7:45 I'm getting set up eight rolls around no one's there I get everything set up I light some candles you know and we've got the tablecloths and everything laid out real pretty and nice and I just start serving tea to myself and I realize 
man, it has been a long time since I did this. I used to do this all the time when yeah. I was in college and when I was first starting. This is 13 years ago when I first started doing Gong Fu Cha. I used to sit and make tea for myself all the time. And now I spend so much time making tea for other people. And then when I do make tea for myself, I'm always distracted and engaged in something. I'm sitting, if any time I have a loan, I'm sitting working on my computer, sending emails, doing all kinds of businessy stuff. But this was a time that I'd set aside to do nothing but serve tea. And whether anyone was there or not, I, I sat there and I... Serve the tea, and we ended up making like four hundred dollars that night because a few people came in, and a, and a few of them spent a bunch of money. So, you know, from a from a business perspective, it was a really good night. But but for me internally, it was valuable to just remember, be reminded that hey, it's not actually about the business. It's not actually about the people, even not even about the guests. It's really about the plant and and my service of this plant. And that means when I've set aside time to serve tea and make tea, it doesn't matter if anyone else is around. That's at least I should do that to the best of my ability. I'm not going to sit around and wait for someone to show up in order to do it. That's pretty special, man. It almost reminds me of my relationship with photography in a way. When I'm shooting headshots for people, it's always serving other people. And uh, it's rare that I even pick up the camera and just go without any intention, but just allow myself to find that personal that quiet space, and uh, it's it's important. It's really important to remember why you're doing it and, and to touch back in with whatever's inside. But um, that's pretty cool, man. So Wednesdays, uh, I'll be able to catch you at the tea spot most generally speaking. <laughs> yeah, probably, because cool. no one else wants to do Geeks Who Drink Night. Cool, I'll start blocking that. <laughs> so it starts at Wednesday, 8? Wednesday 8 at 8, yeah. Wednesday right, at 8. cool, that's yeah. going to be a new, new time frame for nice. us. Um, so in terms of getting this tea, I mean, you said you've been doing this 13 years, man. You... You've got tea from like like I have some pu'er tea that I've been taking every morning, and it has been like it has literally changed my morning routine. Mm-hmm. My whole mm-hmm. my whole morning is centered around this one cup of tea that I have, and it's like all right, I did this. Now I can have my tea. Now it's the next phase, <laughs> and um, I mean it's just like incredible with the stories you tell me about where this comes from and meeting the people that grow it. You've blown my mind with some tea stuff. Can you give like a general bio background for like these ceremonies, for instance, are just, it's like a gathering thing. It's, it's about the tea, but it's about that sense of being together as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's funny, the interplay between those two things, the tea and the community, it's, 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 like, it's like this. If I'm not good at planning parties. I have never been able to successfully plan, for example, a birthday party for myself. <laughs> I'm not organized. I don't tell people in time. And I, I just can't get behind it. I can't get enthusiastic. So so creating culture, creating a community, bringing together a group of people is not something that I'm naturally good at. It's What ends up happening is that when I am completely focused on serving the tea, then the community gathers around it. And mm. so it's, it's, you, you look at what we're doing and we have this really strong community with lots of connection, great people get connected with each other through it. And, and part of that's just the nature of Austin. You know, Austin's this place, the great place for connection. But, but you look at it and you say, oh wow, this company is really good at, at creating community. But actually, we're really good at serving tea and the consequence of that the, naturally is that community springs up around it but the the basically the the background the background of of what what I do is 
I've been practicing Gong Fu Cha for 13 years, and we, we the word ceremony gets used for it a lot. It's, and te- technically, the way I think of it is more of like a discipline than a ceremony. So let's say you see somebody doing Tai Chi, and you've never seen Tai Chi before. You see them using these slow, measured movements, and they're very focused, and maybe they have a sword or something. You say, oh, that person is performing some kind of ceremony, but they're not. They're practicing a discipline. Hmm. It just looks like a ceremony because it's so intentional. And so mm. the where, where we get that word tea ceremony in English is from the Japanese tea ceremony, which is definitely a ceremony. It's, uh, it's kind of like, if you think of Kung Fu Cha is, is a discipline. Tea ceremony, if, if you were to analogize wine and tea, Kung Fu Cha is kind of like an individual or a sommelier's personal discipline and practice of, of becoming acquainted with wine, gaining knowledge about wine, tasting wines, expanding their palate, and, and developing skill in, in understanding wine. That's Gong Fu Cha. It's like a personal practice that can be shared. Let's say you go to a, a picnic or a, a wine tasting or just a, a soiree with your sommelier friend, then it's gonna, you're going to have a great time. You're going <laughs> to learn a lot about wine. Yeah. Where, on the other hand, uh, Japanese tea ceremony is more like communion. Communion is also about wine. Wine is the centerpiece of the, the ceremony, but it's mm. not there for how it tastes or how it smells or even how it makes you feel. The purpose of the wine in communion is its symbolic significance. What does it represent? And that's the same with Japanese tea ceremony. You drink a bowl of powdered green matcha that you whisk with a bamboo whisk. And the tea is important, but so is the scroll that you hang the incense that you burn, the flowers you arrange, the kimono you wear, the fan that you carry, all of those things are of equal importance with the tea itself. Whereas in Gong Fu Cha, only the tea matters. Gotcha. Gong Fu Cha is internal. Gong Fu means skill cultivated through mindful practice. And so, you know, some of the best Gong Fu Cha practitioners I've ever seen, they could make tea better with, with a, a mason jar and a plate than someone else could with like a 600-year-old $50,000 teapot. <laughs> it's not about... The tools you use, it's not a, even about how gracefully the movements are or how proper you are when you're performing the, the tea service. It's really about how connected are you to the tea? How well can you listen to it? How well can you prepare the tea in the way that it most wants to be prepared? And that's a completely, it's a, it's a dialogue between the person and the plant. And the people drinking the tea are just listening. They're just spectators, really, when it comes down to it. They're, they're there in the conversation, they're participants. In the tea service, what happens between the person and the plant goes on in the teapot or in the gaiwan, and then the, 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 the conclusion of, the, of that conversation between the person and the plant is what you drink. I, I can't even express enough to anyone who might be listening to this. If you have the chance to go to a tea ceremony, Led by Sohan, it is really a special experience. It's unlike anything you've ever... It's, it'll be a deep insight into a culture you've never experienced. There's, I mean, typically you go to H-E-B and it's like, oh, what kind of tea do I want? Let me get this tea bag. And it's like not like that at all. It's really a beautiful thing. And I'm curious, in terms of types of tea, what could you kind of give like a basic breakdown of like you have black teas, you have green teas, mm-hmm. you have like what all, what all kind of teas are there? So... The first thing I want to preface that discussion with sure. the types of tea, for the most part, the types of tea are, are um, the categories of tea are useful tools, 
that are mostly imaginary. There's oh, the, interesting. And so what? So it's like this: different people in different parts of China have make tea in different ways. And previously, before there was like the internet or mass communication, they may have just to them that was just tea. They may have never known or even wondered how people in other places make or drink tea. Oh, wow. And then other people came along and, based on certain attributes, determined categories to put these teas into. So I think that's an important distinction to make. Gotcha. Because, uh, so for example, you can look at tea along what I call the oxidation spectrum. It's all one plant. That's the first thing that a lot of people aren't familiar with, is that tea is a plant. It's called Camellia sinensis, and it's... Uh, plant is from southwestern China slash southeast Asia, northern India. That's where it lives. It's a high altitude mountain, evergreen tree. It grows in its natural state. It grows as a tree, and that's that's what it is. Everything else, chamomile tea, rosehip tea, those are actually technically tisanes or herbal infusions. I'm not mad at it. It's just a linguistic thing. So interesting. So that's important because you can be a chocolate connoisseur, but you can't be a candy connoisseur. Right. So if we're trying to develop a connoisseurship around tea, we have to exclude or at least keep separate the plant tea from all of the other plants that get called tea. We have to because, you know, you're not going to you can compare like um, like 80 percent cacao from Costa Rica to like 60 percent, you know, shade grown cacao from Vietnam or something like that. But you can't compare Laffy Taffy to Lifesavers. They're too different. Gotcha. So, yeah, you can't. You can't. That you can't. makes a lot of sense. You just can't. I get it now. That's cool. So when we, what we serve at the tea house, what we serve at West China Tea Company, what we import is 99% tea from the tea plant. That's what we do. And there's enough diversity in that that we don't need to. It's like if you're just a wine store, just sell wine. You don't need to sell mead and you don't need to sell whiskey. Just focus on wine. So that's what we do. We're very niche. We only sell Chinese tea. We I love Japanese tea. I love Vietnamese, Korean, you know, Indian tea, but I don't go to those places. I don't speak those languages, and I don't know about uh, acquiring those things. So the oxidation spectrum is one one distinguishing characteristic that you can look at tea with. So the tea plant, you pick a tea leaf. The fresh leaf is green. As it sits there, it's, it oxidizes. An apple oxidizes. You bite into an apple, and the white flesh turns brown. It's yep. oxidizing. Yeah. The same thing happens to tea. Note, both apples and tea are high in antioxidants. The antioxidant chemicals are highly reduced, and when they're exposed to oxygen, they oxidize. Green tea oxidizes into black tea. Unoxidized tea leaves are green tea. Fully oxidized tea leaves are what we call black tea. Gotcha. Anything in between, or with caveats, with plenty of asterisks, is anything more oxidized than green tea but less oxidized than black tea can be considered an oolong tea. Gotcha. That category is known as oolong. Gotcha. But then you have white tea. White tea is raw. When it is fresh, it is unoxidized. As it ages, and it is meant to be aged, it becomes more oxidized. So white tea is not, it is not distinguished from the other teas by its oxidation level in the same way. White tea is white tea because it's raw. Then you have a hecha. Hecha is the dark teas. Puar, the puar that you have would be considered a hecha because it's fermented. So what makes hecha hecha is that it's fermented. And then you have some people who call puar tea its own category because there is puar like you have, shu puar, mm-hmm. which is fermented. Okay. And then you have sheng puar, which is essentially a large leaf green tea, but it's meant to be aged and it does ferment over time, but more slowly. Mm. And so puar is not exactly its own category of tea. It's a varietal. 
Sheng Pu'er would, is just considered Sheng Pu'er. You could call it a green tea, but nobody does. And Shu Pu'er would be considered a Hei Cha. But there are other fermented teas. So not all Hei Cha is Pu'er, and not all Pu'er is Hei Cha. And then you have purple Pu'er, which can be Sheng or Shu, and it can also be processed into what we call black teas. And then there's yellow tea, which is withered, and it's more oxidized than green tea, less oxidized than black tea, but it's not considered an oolong because it's not from any of the four places that oolong is traditionally produced. And so the bottom line is that we as Americans, as Westerners, we crave nice, neat categories with hard lines that yep. don't bleed into each other, that yep. don't overlap, and that can be distinguished from each other using a single discriminator. Yep. Is it more or less oxidized, for example? Is it fermented or not? But the fact of the matter is, Tea doesn't work that way. There are no hard and fast categories. There are no nice, bold, clear lines. Everything bleeds. There's lots of overlap. There's lots of exceptions. It's very nebulous. And actually, the same can be said for anything in China, any Chinese cultural thing. There, there's not, we don't get firm, like, Wikipedia-grade consensus in China the way that we do in America. Right. Americans really like nice clean lines and in China the world is not composed of nice clean lines that's it's composed so of vaguenesses mm -hmm. and that's something that uh, is really hard to convey to Americans with about tea culture about Chinese culture in general and people are always asking me oh do people in China do this how do people in China do this what kind of what do the houses look like in China how what kind of houses do people live in where who who are you talking about there's right. there's 1.3 billion of them i mean right. which which chinese people are talking about the only thing that can be said of all Chinese people is that they're Chinese. Hey. That's it. They're, There's at least one category we can yeah, have our mind around. Exactly. And that's only that and again, that's a, its own imaginary category because that's just what are they within the borders of the national entity known as China. And that almost kind of comes back to a like the Western thought is that at least if you put things into categories, it's easier to think of them cognitively. You could say that's that and that's that, and you kind of put everything in a box and you label it. And it's easy for your mind to process these categories. And when you go into a world where nothing is categorized, or at least it falls on an infinite spectrum, you have this um, kind of sense of not knowing, mm -hmm. and you have to be okay with that. You have to be okay with this not being in a box and that it right. has the, the ability to kind of... Um, and I think that's one thing that a lot of Westerners uh, can struggle with is just having to have everything figured out and knowing where it goes. And um, that's, that's really interesting, though. I had no idea that tea fell on such an infinite spectrum. Absolutely. And that's, that's the, it's kind of a trade-off. When you categorize things, you, you can analyze them. Uh, when you can make distinctions between things, then you can make these these broad, definitive statements about them. But you miss all the little grains of sand that fall in between. Right. You're, you're, you're picking out the rocks, but the, the beach isn't made of rocks. The beach is made of sand. And so you, you're, you're, you're clumping things together and trying to get them to fit into these categories. And, and in so doing, it makes it neat and orderly and, and, mm -hmm. and digestible. Mm -hmm. But it's not... Mar accurate marketable it, right well exactly marketable and and but it's, and, and at the end what you have is 
something that's neat and tidy, but it's not reflective of reality because reality doesn't really, really work that way. Absolutely, can, it doesn't work that way. It's like you say you, you can't compare apples to oranges. Well, you can't really compare apples to apples. You say you've got two apples, but those two <laughs> apples are not identical to each other. Fair enough. It's just the convenient category of apple Absolutely. that we give to these two objects that are similar to each other but not identical. We treat them as though they're identical. You go to the store and one apple and another apple are the same value, assuming they're the same, I don't know, they sell apples by weight or by piece. I don't know, it doesn't matter. I don't know. But the, the, the point is you can't really compare an apple to an apple. Those two apples are two individuals. They're genetically distinct from each other, maybe. And even if they aren't, even if they're clones, even from the same tree, they're different weights, different sweetnesses. They've gone through different things over the course of their growth and development. And so. The categories, the definitions we give to things, at the end of the day, they are imaginary. They are illusory. They are for our convenience and our utility. And they're useful insofar as they're useful. But at a certain point, they begin to limit us. And, and uh, I'll give you an example of this. Um, we have a, a tea at the tea house. That's, it's a, a dianhong. It's a raw black tea. It's not cooked. And... One would say, oh, well, any raw tea is white tea. But it's not. It's not white tea because they massage it first to oxidize it. And then they, um, in the process of oxidizing it, it becomes black tea. And then they sun dry it. So it's raw like a white tea. It's oxidized quickly like a black tea. But it's made from the leaves of the pu'ar plant. So what is it? Is it a white tea? Is it a black tea? Or is it a pu'ar? (laughs) <laughs> well, it is what it is. It's yeah, not important exactly. which category you want to put in. But my friend Steve, when he brought that tea back to California with him, where tea culture is much more widely spread than it is here, mm-hmm. he had these people who were fronting with him being like, well, it can't be a black tea if it's raw. Black teas have to be cooked. And it's like, well, who told you that? I'm trying to put it in a box. Well, where, where, in, and where did you get that? Steve was in China with me. He was there in China and he got that tea from the farmers who grow and process it. And then he has people in California who've never set foot in China, who don't speak Chinese, and everything they know about tea, they got secondhand knowledge from a book, a person, or the internet. And they're trying to tell him, who actually went to the place and had that experience, that the tea that the farmers who made it call black tea and tastes like black tea is not a black tea because of some arbitrary uh, uh, discriminator that they... uh, imagined was essential to the definition of black tea and that's where those those categories they're useful tools but they can be limiting if you identify with them too much that that idea of the category of black tea it's useful when you're trying something new and say oh what kind of tea is it it's a black tea okay now i know what to expect but when you let it limit yourself and say oh this black tea isn't a black tea because it doesn't check this particular box that I've arbitrarily decided is essential to the definition of black tea. Now you're just being uh, uh, trivial and asinine and, and uh, you're letting it stand in the way of your actually experiencing and appreciating this thing. Like, what's the point? Who cares whether it's a black tea or, or whether it's cooked or not? Like, it doesn't matter. If you make the tea and you drink it and you enjoy it, that's good. Yep, that's all that matters. I, I will say one thing that is 100% definitive in my world of tea uh, currently, and that is the pu'er that you gave me has absolutely been amazing every <laughs> single morning. My friend Buckley has been preparing this uh, pu'er with coconut oil and blending it in the Vitamix and creating this like dreamy, silky smooth kind of fatty concoction mm. and 
it's I mean it's absolutely delicious so next time you come over here we're gonna have to have a nice big pot of that and here's what's really funny, and I, I don't imagine that your friend Buckley would have kn- known about this beforehand, but that is a very traditional way to drink that tea. Really? You know what people do with that tea? Pu'er, let me tell you a little story. Pu'er tea is made in Yunnan province in the southwest of China, and it is produced, it has historically for maybe thousands of years been an export good. It's exported to the parts, other parts of China. It's exported to parts of Central Asia, to Mongolia, to Tibet, to what is now Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, uh, uh, Uzbekistan, and places like that. Central Asia and, and the North, Qinghai and Gansu and places like that. Because the people in those places, uh, especially in the, the, the high plains of like Tibet, for example, they can't grow vegetables. They can only grow grass. And animals eat the grass and they eat the animals. This is why Tibetan Buddhists aren't vegetarian. Uh, they can't be. They would just die. They wouldn't have anything at all to eat. And so, I mean, there are some now, but historically, Tibetan Buddhists have not been vegetarian, even though Buddhism, you, you Buddhists are supposed to be vegetarian. Gotcha. But, so for them, drinking tea has been part of their culture since time immemorial. They have been purchasing tea from the Chinese, and the Chinese buy from them horses. There's an ancient trade route between China that goes from southwestern China and uh, and western China in general, all over Central Asia, Southern China, Southeast Asia, etc., and it's called the the Chama Gudao, the old tea horse road, or ancient tea horse <laughs> road. It's like the Silk Road, but instead of trading silk, they traded tea and horses. And so you would take your puar tea that you made in Yunnan, uh, and you would put it on in some saddlebags, and you'd ride your horse, your camel, your your yak, whatever. You'd pack it all the way to Tibet, for example. And by the time it got there it had fermented because it took so long. And so the people at the receiving end thought they were supposed to drink this tea in this funky, dark-aged, fermented state like you're familiar with. Mm-hmm. The people who are growing the tea drink it fresh and green like green tea. They had no idea that the people on the other end were consuming it aged. Interesting. Yeah, so there's a disconnect there. And what Tibetan people do is they take poor tea, they boil it with salt, and then they strain it and they churn it together with yak butter. They have a special wooden churn that they use to mix the yak butter into the tea and they make this thick, like almost like milkshake thick, not quite that. Dude, I bet that's so good. Creamy. You know, yak butter is an acquired taste. I like it. Um, It definitely took me a minute to acquire the taste. It's very, it's it's salty and it's really oily and rich and yak butter tastes a little it's, it tastes like yak I mean mm. it's like cow milk tastes like cow butter tastes like cow mm-hmm. goat butter tastes like goat yak butter tastes like yak so if you've been around yaks that's what it tastes and smells like but and the, the point is they make this like thick creamy frothy concoction by churning together the yak butter and poor tea and that's where the uh, was it Tim Ferriss invented bulletproof coffee no no it wasn't it wasn't bulletproof coffee he has a thing he coined titanium tea where he makes coconut oil with his, his okay. he actually recommended a poor tea oh really yeah. oh wow okay so yeah that's the the but, but both bulletproof coffee and Tim right. Ferriss's thing were inspired by this ancient practice of blending together poor tea and a fat of some kind and it it really comes out to be a pleasant experience, at least for my. Uh... It's so funny because I've I've had I've had I've had actual Tibetan tea, but I've never had what you're describing. Oh so man, we'll definitely have to change that. I next definitely time need to do that. It's so funny. I'm such a purist. I I've, 
I'm not opposed to doing funny, interesting stuff with tea. I just never do it myself. Uh, totally. It's focused on totally. doing the straight thing. And um, you kind of had, I, you had mentioned a greater vision one day to kind of have a tea house based in San Francisco or Austin, something, you know, three store or something. I don't know if oh, that's, yes, yeah, yes, if you're yes, trying yes. to keep that on the DL or that's just great grand vision scheme right uh, there. No, that, it'll, it'll happen. Nothing's going to stop that from happening. That's pretty that's cool. I'm, I'm very excited for that. I want to post up in a hammock and uh, watch the tea connoisseurs work their magic one oh, day. Oh, man, yeah, it's, we're definitely into hammocks. Actually, when I was in Mexico, they have these giant structures called, well, they don't have to be giant, but they got these structures called palapas, and they can be giant. And it's basically just a big thatched roof with no walls. Ah. And it's it's conical or kind of like a big, uh, like big sure. floppy hat shape where in the center it goes up really high, like cathedral high, several stories high, and then, depending on how big they are, and then it extends really steeply down towards the ground to gotcha. the point where around the edge is just high enough for you to walk underneath. Interesting. And it keeps it nice and cool because you have this deep shade in the middle, in yeah. the center. You have this deep shade, and the, the hot roof is very, very far away from you. And I want to make a palapa, I mean, actually in Tulum, or, but also um, maybe here in Austin. 100% game for it. And uh, I, want, I want to call it a chalapa. <laughs> I'm I, 100% in support, man. Then definitely hammocks, hammocks left and right, hammocks <laughs> all around the edge, and then just big, big, like, tea serving area in the middle would be really sweet. Um, I think your alarm just went it off. It just so, did. So we got to cut this one short, but uh, I, it was really a pleasure, and um, we'll certainly have to get together again, dive deeper on Absolutely. some more philosophical endeavors. Um, I, I want to do a little... Uh, kind of review here i shot your headshot a second ago what'd you think of the whole experience oh, it was great it was a lot of fun <laughs> i and i'm not usually into that stuff i think my mom took me to do glamour shots when i was like seven and it was very traumatic for me <laughs> but uh, i really enjoyed it It was fun it felt very natural and easy and chilled out the pictures look awesome so i'm super super grateful and stoked super appreciate it man it was great having you on um until next time where can people reach you west china tea company my import company is called West China Tea Company. We're Texas's premier boutique tea importers, and you can find us online at westchinateacompany.com. We just opened our brand new tea house, Wei Long Dong Tea House. It's on I-35 at 4706 North I-35, uh, right north of where Airport and 35 meet. And it's really exciting because it's huge, 3,000 square feet. And it's not just a tea house, it's a community space. We've got yoga, we have dance parties, tai chi, qigong meditations, workshops, and all kinds of stuff that we haven't even figured out yet. And we do daily tea tastings um, three times a day from 10 to 1, from 3 to 6, and from 8 to 11. We're open from 10 a.m. to 11 p.m. We've got self-service Kung Fu Cha. You can come rent a tea set, serve tea to yourself and your friends, and we'd love to see you there. That is such a good spot. Um, thanks for coming on, Sohan. This thanks has been incredible. Thank you for being an artist and taking part in the art of listening. This podcast has been brought to you by theperfectheadshot.com. If you need an absolutely amazing image of yourself, something to represent you on a personal social media profile, business LinkedIn, maybe you're starting a website or writing a book, real estate agent, actor, check out theperfectheadshot.com. 
The Perfect Headshot is an Austin, Texas-based headshot photography studio located near South Congress. If you need an image to represent you in the best way possible, something that makes you look kind, trustworthy, attractive, confident, professional, there's no better place to go. They will retouch anything you want, teeth whitened, eyes brightened, blemishes, lint on your clothes, stray hairs removed, and make you look picture perfect. They offer a money-back guarantee, so you got absolutely nothing to lose. If you're the owner of a business and would like to have headshots for all of your employees, they will bring the mobile studio to your office, upload all of your images to a private, password-protected web gallery where you can download them or have them printed and sent straight to your door. Booking a headshot couldn't be easier. Simply go to theperfectheadshot.com, submit your contact info, and a sales representative will contact you shortly. If you reference the Art of Listening podcast, you'll receive a 20% discount on your headshot session. Best picture you've ever had or your money back. Guaranteed.